0: in this series for longer than any series I've ever taught through, and today is week number 31. Can you believe it? Week number 31 in this series. Uh, I know some of you, back when we first started the book of Matthew, you thought, oh, he's just going to race through this like he usually does, and I thought that too. And then we got into it, and I was like, we have to really spend, spend some time on this, because the big picture of the book of Matthew is that Matthew is writing as a Jewish man who really, really knows the Old Testament. For him, it was just called the Scriptures. He's a Jewish man who really, really understands the scriptures, and when Jesus came onto the scene, Matthew began to realize soon that Jesus was the king that the Old Testament had predicted. He was the king that was better than David, the the teacher who was better than Moses, the prophet who was better than Elijah. Jesus was everything they had been hoping for. The problem was, the more Matthew walked with Jesus, the more he realized that Jesus was not the king anyone expected. And so the whole book of Matthew is this contrast between Jesus being the better king than the Old Testament could ever have anticipated, and also be completely letting us down with regard to the king that we wanted. The basic idea that we've been sharing this entire time is that we want a king who will be the bully on our side, the strong person who can fight our battles, defeat our enemies, and repeatedly we find Jesus as the king who leads us to surrender to our enemies, the king who leads us to sacrifice for our enemies persecutors the king who leads us to turn our cheek towards the person who has just hit just hit the previous cheek jesus is the one who leads us in ways that we never wanted a king to lead us and it all culminates in that moment on the cross when the crowd yells out to jesus the verse that we've looked at time and time again during this series matthew 27 i'll put it up one last time he saved others they said But he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. We only will believe in the king who defends himself. The king who lives. The king who is strong enough to defend himself is the one who might be strong enough to defend us. And that's the king that we want. But Jesus has led his followers all the way to the cross And to death. And last week we discovered something absolutely amazing. Last week we discovered that just a few days after Jesus died, he came back. The question that we have to ask ourselves, that we've been asking ourselves this entire series, is can I follow a king like this? Before the resurrection, I don't know if I could say yes. Before the resurrection, my inclination would be to say, no, I don't want to follow a king who's just going to lead me to sacrifice my life and there it is, it's all over. I mean, Jesus made incredible promises. He made promises like, if you lose your life for my sake, then you'll find it again. Jesus made promises like, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. Jesus made some incredibly difficult promises. And if he just goes to the cross and dies and that's it, I don't know if I want to follow that guy. Because clearly he made some promises promises that he couldn't keep for himself, and therefore I don't know if I want to follow him either. But because of the resurrection, my answer to that is completely yes, because now when I look at Jesus, I don't look at Jesus as the one who just sacrificed. Now when I look at Jesus, I don't look at Jesus and see just someone who lost. Now when I look at Jesus, I see a guy who went through loss to victory in a way that no one else had ever done and I want both there was a time in my life when I only ever wanted victory but I gotta be honest with you I'm sick of selfishness I'm sick of pursuing my own aims when I when I pursue my own agendas I generally find them to be hollow and empty I'm sick of selfishness in our world I look around me and when someone is selfish and they they are serving their own aims rather than the aims of the people around them, that just just hurts me somehow deeply in my heart. Because I don't want to be a selfless person while all the people around me are selfish. That hurts me even more. And I look at the world around me and I'm just sick and tired of all the things that are going on in our society where people are exploiting other people. It saddens me. And I wish I lived in a better world. And that's why my answer to Jesus is yes. Because Jesus is the one who walks through self-sacrifice. Jesus is the one who walks through serving others rather than serving himself. And Jesus, because he walks that path, is the one who ends up on a cross. But he's the one who ends up raised from the dead. Yes, I want to follow a king like that. And so if I want to follow a king like that, the next logical question is, does he ask anything of me? Does he want me to do anything? And at the end of the book of Matthew, we get a very clear picture of what it is that Jesus wants for me and for you who are his followers to do. Take a look at it with me. We're in Matthew 28. We're picking up the story in verse 16, and it says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. I want to pause there. Because the disciples go to Galilee, and you need to see the significance of that moment. You need to see the significance of what Jesus is telling them to do. Because they were in Jerusalem Let me ask you, according to the Jews, where is the holy city? It is Jerusalem. According to the Jewish people, does anything righteous come out of Galilee? No, it never has. The holy thing was always in Jerusalem. It was never in Galilee. In fact, the first time anyone found out that Jesus was from that northerly region near Galilee called Nazareth the first time someone found out about that, they actually asked the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because none of the Jewish people believed anything good would come up there. When Jesus rose from the dead, he specifically told his followers, I'm not going to hang out with you here in Jerusalem. We're going to... To Galilee. Let me show you that. We saw it last week. It's just a few verses earlier. Matthew 28 verse 10, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The thing you got to realize is that from the very beginning of the section we call the Great Commission, from the very beginning of the section where we draw our church's mission, from that passage it all begins with, I'm not going to meet you here. We're going to go there and I will meet you there. Jesus met them at the end of a journey. Now that's pretty significant. Jesus began this final section of Matthew with a statement that you got to go to where I am. I'm not coming to where you are. You have to go to where I am. You have to go to where I'm moving. You have to go to the place where I have called you to go. And then when you get to that place where I've called you to go, I will show up there. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in that place where you're like, God, where are you? Have you ever been in that place where you're like, God, why don't you just show up where I am? God, why don't you come to me? God, why don't you bring your presence into my life? Have you ever thought that maybe Jesus would be saying, I'm not going to go to you. I want you to go to where I am at work. See, this is just one of those moments, but it's not the only moment. I mean, the Bible is filled with this kind of idea. Back in the Old Testament, God said to Abraham when he first met Abraham, he said, Abraham, guess what? I want you to pack up your bags and go to the place where I'll show you, and that place will be the one that I give to you and your descendants. In in the Old Testament, when God met Moses, he said to Moses, Moses, let my people go out of Egypt, get my people out of Egypt, and then go to the mountain, I will show you. And then go to the land where I promised I would give to your descendants and to Abraham's descendants. God consistently says, I'm not going to meet you here, I'm going to meet you there. There's another place where I have asked you to go, and that's the place where I'm going to meet you. And our problem is that we find ourselves in the middle far too often. The middle is the place after you've received the instruction, before you have shown up at the destination. The middle is that place after you have started the journey, but before you have reached the end. And the middle is the place where God says, I'm still going to meet you there. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that God is going to actually remove his presence from your life because you're somehow in the middle of a journey. And I'm not saying that God is somehow going to keep himself silent and just watch you do your thing while you're in the middle of the journey. What I'm saying is sometimes God has something for you there that is different from what he's got for you in the middle. And in the middle is the place where you and I feel the darkness, where you and I feel the distance, where you and I feel that something isn't exactly right. And that's because something isn't exactly right. God has a place for us to be. He's got a place for us to go. And if we get there, we will meet him in exactly the way he intends. Some of you are in the middle right now, and I need to encourage you to have faith and keep walking. Have faith and keep moving. Let me remind you, That the resurrection is a moment that happened after a middle. Jesus died on on Friday. He rose on Sunday morning. And everybody had to live through Saturday. I don't know how long your middle is going to last. I don't know how long my middle will ever last. But I know there's a Jesus who says, I will meet you there. And so you better believe I'm going to keep walking until I get there. But let's keep going because what happens here in this passage is really quite amazing. The uh, people decide that they are going to follow Jesus and go to Galilee. Even though they don't see Jesus, they're just trusting He's going to be there. So pick it up in verse 17. It says, when they saw Him. Well, that's encouraging. They actually saw Him. When they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. That's a really interesting statement. I want to pause there also just for a little bit. You see, doubt is not a thing that is judged. Pay real close attention, neither before nor after this verse, does Matthew say anything negative about the people who are doubting. But I will say this. I find great comfort in recognizing that there are people who saw Jesus risen from the dead in front of them, and they doubted. Now, the question we have to ask is, what did they doubt? Did they doubt the resurrection? No. I mean, Jesus is standing right there in front of them. They don't doubt that Jesus is in front of them. He's in front of them. They don't doubt. Read the section. Read the sentence. It says some of them worshipped and some of them doubted. That's the contrast. The contrast isn't that some of them thought Jesus was alive and some of them thought he was a ghost. The contrast is that some of them worshipped him and some of them doubted. That means some of them said resurrected Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is everything he ever thought said he was when jesus walked on water and he said i am that meant jesus was claiming to be god in the flesh just the same way the burning bush said i am to moses that means jesus is god in the flesh and so they worshiped him some of them doubted they didn't doubt the resurrection they doubted the significance of the resurrection do you understand the difference Doubting the resurrection is a factual thing. Did it happen or didn't it happen? We've got all kinds of historical evidence. We've got all kinds of reasons to believe that the resurrection is a historically recognized fact. It's just a thing that happened. But the significance of it, that's where there's room for doubt. Does the resurrection mean that Jesus was just an absolutely amazing specimen of human ability? Or does the resurrection mean that Jesus is God in the flesh? That's the question that requires faith. Resurrection doesn't require faith. That just requires an acceptance of history. But the significance of the resurrection, that requires faith. Now let's just assume that the resurrection has convinced you that Jesus is everything he claimed to be. Let's just assume that the resurrection has convinced you that Jesus is God in the flesh. Let's just assume that everything Jesus came to be and to do is confirmed by the resurrection. And now the question is, are you going to do what he says? Just to put a little bit of icing on the cake, Jesus doesn't jump right into his command. He gives us one more preliminary sentence before he jumps into this command. It's in verse 18. Take a look at this. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Write this down. Jesus has all the authority in the universe. I don't know if you're a Marvel fan, but recently there was a movie that was made about these things called the Infinity Stones, and if you had the Infinity Stones, You had the power of the entire universe in your hand. And the purple dude with the funny face got a glove that he could put on his hand and put all the infinity stones in the glove. And when he had all the infinity stones in his glove, he could snap his finger and make anything happen. In fact, even to the point of killing 50% of the universe... And he did it because he had the power of the infinity stones. And then I don't know if you have Disney Plus. You probably don't have Disney Plus because it's another subscription that none of us actually needs. But my family happens to be Disney freaks. And so we have Disney Plus. And on Disney Plus, there's another show called Loki. And in the show called Loki, we find out that, oh, spoiler alert, we find out that all those infinity stones, there's millions of them from various different timelines. And the real guy with all the power is the guy who's in charge of all the timelines because he's got the timeline with the infinity stones that do this and the timeline with the infinity stones that do that and so he's in charge of everything because he controls the entirety of time and space and so that guy's the real guy with all the power and i gotta say (laughs) jesus beats them all he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Jesus says, I don't just have the power of life after death. I have now been given the authority of the universe. All dominion on the earth belongs to me. All dominion in the heavens belong to me. There is no power on earth that is greater than mine. There is no power of sickness that beats me. There is no power of government that beats me. There is no power of economics that beats me. There is no power of human animosity that beats me. There is no power in heaven or on earth that beats me. Jesus says, I am the baddest of the bad. You know, in the good sense. Jesus is like, you ain't never gonna beat me. And the bully that we've wanted for so long has finally arrived. And he steps onto the scene of history and he says, I am here now. I have all the power of the universe in my hands. I have the infinity stones. I have the timeline. I have the elder wand if you are uh, Harry Potter fans. And I have the magic feather if you're a Dumbo fan. Jesus says, I got it all. It's all mine. And guess what? Is he on your side? Let's just remind ourselves of how Jesus wields the awesome power of the universe. He himself says this. We've seen it many times. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, the one with all the greatest power that has ever been given, the greatest power of all the universe, The power of calming wind and waves and walking on water and healing the sick and raising the dead. The power of raising from death himself. The power of the universe is in his hands and he uses it to serve others. Listen, I'm going to tell you what I believe is the greatest power of all time the greatest power that has ever existed, is encapsulated in Jesus, and therefore we can understand how God's power works. It goes like this, from God for others. This is the way God works. This is the way God's power flows. It goes from God for others. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is from God for others. That's what Jesus did. He received from God and gave to others his own life. He had received from God and given for others. The Father and the Son in perfect unity operate in this this relationship where the Father gives, the Son transfers, and it comes from God for others. And it's true for me and you i've said this many times before god is a giver and he gives to those who give because everybody knows if you're a giver you don't want to give to a taker givers hate giving to takers because if i give to a taker then my gift ends but i'm a giver if i if i want to be a giver i'm i'm not so concerned about where the gift lands i'm not concerned about where the gift ends what i'm most concerned about is the giving itself and so if I give and I watch someone else who has given who I've been given I've given something to if I watch them give to someone else then my heart is overjoyed because I have given to a giver I love giving to givers God loves giving to givers and the same thing goes here God's power is for those who use power to help the powerless from God for others If you are ever in the place where you're feeling weak or lonely, or if you're ever in the place where you're feeling distant from God or where you're feeling like God can't possibly use you, then live this principle out. Just say it in your heart. Say it in your your mirror and say it's from God for others. From God for others. From God for others. And that sets the stage for everything else that Jesus says here. Matthew 28 19 through 20, is these two verses we call the Great Commission. It says this, Therefore, because I've got all the power and all the authority, Jesus says, all right, now I'm telling you what to do. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. There are five things I want you to write down. Five things I want you to keep track of from this thing that we call the Great Commission. It is called the Great Commission because it is Jesus' giving of his final instructions to his followers about how his followers are supposed to take his message into the world. It is our mission. It forms the mission of every church, or at least it should. It forms the mission of every Christian, or at least it should. And this is Jesus' final words to his people saying what we're supposed to do. Here it is. Our mission, first of all, what I want you to notice is that it is expansive and inclusive go into all the world he says make disciples of all nations i love it that jesus gives this instruction in galilee he has told his jewish followers to leave jerusalem and to go up to the land that is known as galilee of the gentiles Because Jesus is going to give them their final mission outside of Jerusalem. He's going to say, I want you to come up here. Now that we're out of Jerusalem, it's your chance. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. In the Old Testament, when God called to Abraham and said, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham. God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and you are going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you so much that your blessings will spill out on others and people will come to you and they will receive your blessings. The Old Testament works like that. The nation of Israel works like that. God's commands to Moses in Leviticus and Deuteronomy work like that. The blessings that were supposed to fall from God onto Israel were supposed to spill out on the people around them and that's why God continued to say to his people, "I will make you a blessing and you will bless." That's the way God works from God for others it's always the way God works the difference is that in the old testament times with abraham with the israelites in the old testament times the idea was that the people were supposed to come to them here is the nation of Israel. This is the place where God is. These are the people of God. And the people who are looking for blessing would come from outside and come in. There's this famous story where King Solomon is so much has so much wisdom and so much wealth that the king the queen of Ethiopia comes up and she she meets with Solomon. The Queen of Sheba said she meets with Solomon just to see his wealth and and we get this picture of the wealth and glory and majesty of Israel being shared with the world but they had to come there come here for your blessing is what the old testament said but jesus does something different jesus says go go and be a blessing go and take the blessing with you i'm going to bless you so much that it's going to spill out onto other people but you have to go you have to take it with you And he says, I want you to be expansive, go everywhere. And I want you to be inclusive, include all the nations. This isn't just for Jews, this is for Gentiles and everybody else. This is for the whole world, be inclusive. If there is a person or a category of person in your life that you would feel difficulty having a sit-down conversation with that person, then you have failed to grasp the inclusive nature of Jesus. If there is a place in this world where you are hesitant to go, then you have failed to grasp the extension of Jesus' command. Now, I'm not telling every one of you that you have to leave this week and go to some other part of the world. What I'm going to say is this. For some people, we go to Lebanon. We have missionaries in Lebanon right now. For some people, we go... To Lafayette. For some people, we go to work. Some of us go to daycare or to a soccer game. And Jesus' point is wherever you go, wherever you go, you are there to include more in what he would call this disciple-making process. The first thing for us to realize is that our mission is expansive and inclusive. But secondly, Jesus says our method... Needs to require conversion. Now I use that word particularly because Jesus' word here is baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I talk a lot about baptism when I get an opportunity to, and we baptize people in this church. We got a giant metal tank eight feet long in our mechanical room back here, and we love to fill it up and get people all the way dunked in that thing to symbolize the new life they have in Christ. But I got to remind you that we don't baptize people because we have a vested interest interest in getting people wetter than they currently are. We don't baptize people because we really want to have the opportunity to dunk one more person because it's just fun to dunk people. We baptize people because it symbolizes a complete and total life transformation known as conversion, known as repentance, known as turning away from the life before to the life of following Jesus. Jesus says, you need to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Remember, baptism started with with John the Baptist but it didn't actually start with him. The Jewish people were doing baptism long before John the Baptist ever started baptizing people. And the Jewish people used baptism as a symbol as the final ritual that a man would go through to become a Jew. A man who wasn't a Jew needed to go through a whole bunch of hoops. They had to learn the law. They had to get circumcised. That's a big hoop to go through. But then they had to get baptized as the final step of becoming a real and total Jew. And their baptism was just to go home and wash in a very special way in your own tub john shows up on the scene and he says no i'm going to baptize you right now in front of all these people so that you can see you're already a jew but it doesn't matter you're going to have a relationship with god that is dependent on your conversion to him and not your society around you so baptism starts for real with john who says you're going to be converted you need to repent and come to god and jesus continues it Our goal isn't to just get people to pray a prayer or to get baptized. Our goal is to get people converted, transformed, changed. I can't tell you the number of times. I mean, it saddens me deeply. I can't tell you the number of times that I have baptized a person only to have that be the very last Sunday I ever saw that person. Baptizing a person, and then the very next week, they stopped returning my calls, and they're gone. It's happened so many times for me. There have been some times where I baptized a person, and then they lingered around for like a week or two after that, but then disappeared because they had this idea that what they needed is some sort of spiritual ritual to get them right with God. And they didn't have any idea that God wants a conversion. He wants people to become followers, disciples, students. And not just wet. So our mission involves, it requires, conversion. That's our first method. But our second method, Jesus mentions, is this one. I'm going to use the words mentored obedience for this one. Our second method is mentored obedience. Now, Jesus uses the word teaching, and again, I'm avoiding his word. The reason I'm avoiding his word is that just like baptism can become a ritual that people do to get some sort of spiritual favor, they think, with God, teaching is one of these things that Christians, especially in North America, get incredibly wrong. See, when we think of teaching, we think of knowledge. I want more knowledge, I want more education, I want, to, I want to read another book, I want to listen to another podcast, I want to watch another movie, I want to sit in another church service, and I want the teacher to teach me something I haven't heard before. Because if I can hear something I haven't heard before, then I get this little sort of spiritual warm fuzzy inside of myself, and I can be like, oh, I'm growing spiritually now, I'm learning something, I never thought of it that way before, oh, I had an enlightenment moment. Little light bulbs go off in our heads and we're like, that must be what spirituality is. And we think that's great and teaching is one of the excuses that we use to pretend we're following jesus when we're really not the apostle paul would even say that teaching is the kind of thing that puffs people up not necessarily making them followers of jesus pay attention to what jesus actually says and he doesn't say teach them he says teach them to obey that's a phrase he doesn't say teach them to understand. He doesn't say teach them to know their doctrine. He doesn't say teach them to know their Bible. He doesn't say teach them to know the details of superlapsarianism versus infralapsarianism. He doesn't say teach them to know the difference between justification and sanctification and whether a, 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 whether the, the rapture is going to be happening pre-tribulation or post-tribulation or mid-tribulation or or non-tribulation or being an amillennial or a millennial. He doesn't, he doesn't go into dispensationalism at all. Jesus says teach them To obey. You can become a great Christian without knowing any of the theology. You can't be a follower of Jesus without knowing how to obey. And these are some of the things that Jesus taught us. I'll just put them up on the screen to remind us. Here's the first one that I want to draw your attention to. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I used the image the other week about a, a picture frame hanging on two hooks. Two hooks. And if you get one of those hooks loose on the wall, if the picture frame comes out of that, it's going to be lopsided and won't be doing its job properly. Both of these hooks is what Jesus is saying. This, the law and the prophets, all of the Old Testament, everything God wants, the entire moral code of God hangs on these two pillars, these two hooks, these two things. Love God, love other people. If you're not loving God with everything that you are, if you're not loving other people as yourself, you are missing the boat. Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is one of the things. Here's another thing Jesus commands us to do. Take a look at this one. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers over the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. That certainly sounds like a command to me, right? Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is giving you an option here. You can choose greatness or not. So this is kind of a command, but it's, it's, it's a command that all of us want to follow. You can choose greatness or not. If you choose greatness, you choose service, sacrifice. And the one who wants to be the greatest needs to serve the most. Jesus says, this is what I am going to do. You're not going to beat me. You're not going to serve better than I serve. And so therefore... I'm going to be the greatest. We're just going to qualify that right now. He later will say, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And so Jesus is better than you. I got to tell you, but you can follow him. Jesus commands us to love God and love people. He commands us to serve others. And then one more command. Jesus commands us, To go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is also one of his commands. And so I am not a disciple-making pastor unless I am encouraging you to be converted. I am not a disciple-making pastor unless I'm encouraging you to follow Jesus with your whole heart and your whole life. And I'm not a disciple-making pastor if I let you get off the hook with mere learning. The only way for us to be a disciple kind of church, a great commission kind of church, is for us to be the people who teach others to obey because we are the people who are walking in mentored obedience. And that's because the bigger picture for all of this is our goal Our goal is never to make Christians. Our goal is never to make church people. Our goal is never to make people who are religious. Our goal is to make people who are Christ-like. Our goal is Christ-likeness. A couple weeks ago, I used the illustration of Icon on a phone. We are all made in God's image. The Greek word for image is literally the word icon. It's where we get the word icon for our icons on our phones. And when you tap the icon for Facebook, you get Facebook. And when someone taps you, they should get Jesus. This is just, this is just the icon. It's not a very good-looking icon. It's not a very, it's not a very attractive icon, but, but if you touch it, If you get too close to this icon, you should experience Jesus. That's all of us. Christ-likeness is our goal. Take a look at Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Discipleship requires walking the path Jesus walks even when the path is carrying a cross. That's what our mission is. But you have to realize how this whole story ends. Remember it began, Jesus said, go to Galilee, I'll meet you there. Once they showed up and they met him, Jesus is like, I've got all the power in the universe. So now I'm telling you to go somewhere else. I'm telling you to go throughout all the world. But guess what? What? The very end, Jesus says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Our power is Christ himself. We don't go into this mission just trying to do our best, trying to figure out another way to convince another person to follow Jesus. We are going into the world with the power of Jesus himself. And I tell you what, if Jesus is holding the magic feather and he's holding your hand, you better believe you can fly. You better believe that no matter what is happening in your society, in your family, in your world around you, you better believe that Jesus says, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. This is our mission. Jesus is calling us to an incredible mission. We have the power of the greatest person in the universe in our hands, in our grasp because the the God of the universe sent his son to walk this road and to demonstrate to us and to prove to us that power flows from God for others. And you and I get to step into that. As a church, we get to step into that. As individuals, we get to step into that. And listen, I firmly believe that even though some days it feels like I'm in the middle, some days it feels like we're in the middle, some days it feels like the church is in the middle, I firmly believe that if we continue to walk in faith, all the power of God is going to be revealed in exactly the way He wants it to be. Maybe that just means you become more like Christ. Maybe that just means I become more like Christ. But maybe, maybe we will see countless people Experience the love of Christ through our sacrifice, through your love. And they will be drawn to Jesus themselves and they will, be in, they will encounter him and maybe, just maybe, we will see people become Christ-like because of what Christ has done through us. The power of God flows from God for others. One of the things we're doing to kind of relaunch is that for the fourth time in the history of the church, we are going to revise our mission statement. All right? For the fourth time. First time when Jen and I first moved to Lafayette, it was uh, helping people take one step closer to Jesus or leading people one step closer to Jesus. And we had some other slogans that we used and tossed around here and there. And then we changed it a number of years ago, helping people discover life in Christ because we wanted to emphasize the life that Jesus provides for us. And we emphasized the two verbs. You could, you could either be a person who is discovering or you could be a person who is helping someone else to discover this life in Christ. And I loved that one. It was a great one. But a couple years ago, we said, you know what? We want to modify this because it's time for us to sort of experience a fresh, new thing as a church community. And so in January of 2020, the greatest year any church has ever experienced, in January 2020, we launched another brand new mission statement. I was like, we're going to empower people to live the life God made them for. And I was like, okay, that sounds great, but I guess what? You know, we're just going to draw it back. We're going to be simpler because I don't want to do any of the mission statement that we picked in 2020 because, you know, let's just let's just you know, chalk that whole year and a half up to something that, you know, let's just forget about some of that stuff. Anyway, we're just going to go simple. We're just going to go simple. We're just going to go great commission level simple. So from now for... A while until I get the desire to change it again. We're just going to help people follow Jesus. That's just it. We're just going to help people follow Jesus. That means when you leave this building, you're going to help someone follow Jesus. That means when you turn off this video, you're going to help someone follow Jesus. That means when you pick up your kid this week from school, you're going to help them follow Jesus. That means when your husband comes home and he is late and didn't call, that means you're going to just help people follow Jesus. And when the dishes aren't done the way you want them to be done and everybody else in the household is just thinking they're supposed to be like that, well, guess what? You're going to help people follow Jesus. And guess what? Over the next couple of weeks, in the next year, And as long as God gives us the time, as a church, we're going to help people follow Jesus. Because our mission isn't just to give someone more information. And our mission isn't just to make someone feel something. Our mission is to help people people become more like Jesus. And it all begins with us becoming more like Jesus. So we're going to walk that journey. We're going to walk that journey together together. And I believe God still has a lot left in store for us. So I'm glad that you're going to be on this journey with us. Let me invite you to be praying for our church specifically this week and next week as we start sending out some promotional materials through internet means, different Google ads and Facebook ads are where we have had most of our success in the last decade or so. But I tell you what, One of the biggest problems with any of those things is that if they don't get to the right person, then they don't matter. And so I want us to pray. And I want us to pray that over the next few weeks, whoever God is working on out there, who's a person who needs to be helped follow Jesus just a little bit more, that if God is working on them in such a way that we've got something that can help them out, let's ask for God to put those two things together that that person sees whatever they need to see at the time they need to see it, and that God coordinates all that stuff. Because on October 10th, when we do our relaunch thing, we might get more people, we might not, but we want God to bring us the exact people that we can help follow Jesus, because that's what our mission is. Make sense? Hey, let me pray for us, and then we'll get on to our mission. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you Live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And His plans for you are perfect. So, if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.